0: informing america's farmers and ranchers it's adams on
1: agriculture produced by the american ag radio network here's your host mike adams hello everyone welcome to adams on agriculture thank you for joining us letting us be part of your day we appreciate it as we uh, start off a new week by first wrapping up the month of august we head into september and Heading into harvest, a lot of weather concerns, some drought issues to deal with. We'll be talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Also, some uh, forecasts out there about a harsh winter ahead. We'll talk with Bryce about that as well. We're going to talk soybean exports today with the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim Sutter will be joining us. And we'll talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So a busy program to kick off the week and wrap up the month. And always glad to start things off with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. How are you?
2: I'm oh, great, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show.
1: Always appreciate you being on. There's so much going on right now. Um, China very much in the news with these purchases. They they continue to buy.
2: Oh, my goodness. You know, not only watching everything last week with those big purchases, 400,000 here, 400,000 400, metric tons there. Thursday, 747,000 metric tons of corn. And this morning, 596,000 metric tons. So it's really clear, Mike, that the Chinese are serious about rebuilding their hog herds and their other protein sectors so that they can get back up to speed. And they're buying a lot of U.S. corn for that load ahead.
1: And also, we've seen Taiwan take some steps, uh, agreeing to ease some restrictions on U.S. beef and pork, and that's certainly welcome news.
2: It is, and some people think that might be the precursor to a free trade agreement with Taiwan. That's going to be a little farther down the road, but it was certainly good news to see that they had changed their restrictions so that they could buy cattle from over 30 months old, and also lift the ractopamine restrictions on pork. Uh, it sounds like it's really something that, uh, you know, such good news for the our pork industry. They've been trying for over 15 years to get this moving, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just kind of the, the name of the game here. It takes a long time, but the, the Taiwan government has signaled that they're ready to deal with us on some better standards.
1: And these will certainly be talking points for the Trump uh, administration in the campaign here as we head towards Election Day in what is really heating up now in what looks to be a close election and uh, also a a real battle in rural America to see uh, where voters are going to go come November.
2: That's exactly right. You know, both candidates need at least 270 votes in the Electoral College and So many rural states are going to be key to that. They may not have the highest number of electoral votes, but you can look in a state like Minnesota, how that would be crucial for either Trump or Biden, as well as Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan. All those states are going to see a lot more. And we heard over the weekend that Vice President Biden is actually going to go out and start campaigning in person in some of those areas. We know President Trump has already been so you're going to hear a lot more about tariffs and trade and farm support uh, over the next few weeks as we ramp up to the November
1: 3rd election. And certainly more about the ethanol issues.
2: Yes, you're seeing quite a bit on that, and I certainly can understand where uh, everybody's coming from because when you're talking about the rural vote, there's nothing that's much more uh, stronger of a supporter for rural economic development than some of these ethanol plants and biodiesel plants that are scattered throughout the Midwest. And when you're looking at the Trump administration not making a decision on the RVOs and not making a decision on whether they're going to do these small refinery exemptions, it's something that the Democrats can truly point at as As a problem for rural America. So, whether or not the Trump administration will come out with a decision is yet to be seen. They seem to be thinking they'll just hold off till after the election. But uh, it, it gives the Democrats a real talking point of saying, you know, do you really, does the Trump administration really have your back, Mr. Farmer, or not?
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Certainly fair game to criticize these the small refinery exemptions, the waivers. That certainly is a point to be criticized. Uh, but I thought it was <laughs> uh, interesting that the, the Biden campaign would go after the Trump administration for not releasing the RVO uh, levels yet. During the Obama-Biden administration, they were almost always late on getting those out.
2: Yeah, like three years late.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: So you, you can you can point fingers in a lot of different directions on these things. And you know, at the end of the day I think farmers are gonna to have to look at the totality of what they will get in a candidate and they're gonna be looking at, you know, am I better off? Well, you know, later this week we're gonna get net farm income estimates and if we didn't have these CPAP payments and all these other supports, that we'd be mm-hmm. in so much worse situation in rural America than we are. But um, you know, between the tariffs and everything else, there's a lot of different uh, ways that the farmers and ranchers have been suffering over the last few years. And uh, whether or not they're going to look at, OK, uh, you know, we're willing to stick with President Trump to this because we think in the long term he's going to make things better off or they're ready to make a switch is what Democrats are hoping.
1: Speaking of CFAP, Secretary Purdue indicating there may be another round of CFAP after Labor Day
2: right he said very shortly after labor day that people can expect another round of payments you know they've got 14 billion there that they can roll out yet and we're all of course hoping that there'll be an agreement between the white house and house democrats on yet another round of assistance for all sectors of the economy, but that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, I think the uh, discussions over the weekend are still at least a trillion apart between the two sides. Wow. So uh, the, the fact that we can get perhaps this $14 billion out to help people would be very important.
1: Yeah, we've gone from wondering would, what would the ag part of the next coronavirus aid package look like to wondering if there will be an ag portion of the next package now wondering if there even be a package right right
2: um you know the the good news is uh, deadlines of course uh of funding the federal government will be up at the end of september and that'll be here uh, quicker than we know it and so there's some expectation that perhaps a big mega deal will be made of funding the federal government for the next fiscal year and this next round of coronavirus payments. Uh, but certainly that does give them some deadline pressure to look at and say, gosh, we've got to do something at least to fund the government by then.
1: Yeah, it takes a deadline to get them to move a lot of times. If it's a deadline, they can't move themselves. If they, if they have to stick with it, if it's a hard deadline, then this, something usually gets done. Sarah, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. We'll talk next week. Great. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Sarah Wyatt, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. All right. Coming up a little later in the program, we're going to talk about soybean exports. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, will join us. A lot going on with exports right now with the big purchases uh, by China. We'll just take a look at how things have been going impacted by COVID-19 and prospects moving forward as we head into harvest time a lot of questions as we head into harvest as well about weather as we go into the month of september as uh, some areas still experiencing drought conditions and uh, what about a look ahead to this winter we'll do that next with dtn meteorologist bryce anderson he joins us next here on aoa Adams on agriculture stay with us
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need
1: to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with ETM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thanks for joining us. Too. A lot of areas could use some rain. Are we going to get some this week?
0: Not a whole lot, Mike. Uh, the drier series of the uh, western corn belt especially are going to be well um. Closed off of uh, any moisture that happens. Uh, There have been some pretty strong thunderstorms in the northern Midwest during the overnight hours into early this morning, and uh, there's been some action uh, down in uh, the mountains in Arkansas. The Boston Mountains, especially, have been getting some rain, maybe up into the Ozark uh, Plateau. But in Iowa, northern Illinois, uh, it's uh, really hasn't been happening very much. There's just been uh, some uh, very light showers kind of crossed parts of Iowa. And uh, here in Omaha, I had a light shower this morning, but it, um, or you know, the Omaha area did, but it was a pretty uh, fast-moving round of thunderstorms and so didn't really lead very much. And uh, I think uh, Omaha is now down about uh, 50% from normal on rainfall for the year on precipitation and you cross the Missouri River, and you get that kind of deficit over the western half of Iowa, and it, of course, is even worse in uh, west central Iowa. There's a bubble of about 12 counties between Omaha and Des Moines where the uh, drought monitor shows extreme drought in effect, and uh, for those areas, it is indeed the driest uh, since 2012. So it's a, um, you know, a situation that is not getting uh, a whole lot of help uh, from the way the storms have acted so far today.
1: It has cooled off, though, some.
0: It has definitely gotten cooler, and we're going to see that pattern uh, pretty well be in effect all the way through uh, the next two weeks. Uh, There's a real large uh, cool trough out of central Canada that has forged its way all the way south, and uh, it's clear down into uh, uh, central Oklahoma, northern Arkansas. So that's where the boundary is between uh, the cooler air and then a real uh, hot, uh, high-pressure ridge in central Texas uh, through the Gulf Coast. So that's where the storm action is uh, going to pretty much concentrate um, as far as uh, areas where the rainfall potential is going to be the heaviest. And uh, we're going to see this pattern pretty well set in for another, I would say, 10 days to two weeks because the uh, charts are showing that this trough is uh, going to be with us for that uh, period of time, and um, it's it's got a lot of uh, got a lot of uh, punch to it in terms of just the uh, the breadth of the coverage. Now, I don't think that we're turning around to have a a real cold start to the fall season or anything like that, but uh, it certainly is going to be on the cooler side with a lot of near to below normal temperatures, and especially uh, below normal. Uh, from about uh, u.s highway 20 north and so that takes in uh, the northern midwest and obviously the northern plains as well
1: yeah you start talking now 10 days two weeks you're getting in right to harvest times Uh, be some silage cut before then and a little harvest here or there but two weeks from now things will really be starting to crank up
0: oh yes they will and um one feature with this uh, drier trend is that uh, areas that have gotten the rain that they needed are uh, now in turn going to be able to have uh, crops go toward, uh, go toward maturity in uh, very good shape as far as moisture is concerned. And there will be some parts of the, uh, the central uh, part of the country that uh, turn in some very good yields. Uh, I was in contact with a, um, a good uh, customer of ours in uh... minnesota over the weekend who uh... has received rainfall just when he needed it uh... during the past uh, six weeks and as a result uh... crops have uh, moisture that is sufficient for finishing and uh, he's looking at a very good year he didn't know if he was here about uh, i would say the uh, the latter part of july but uh... things have uh, turned around quite a bit but on the other hand um, like I say, in these drier areas, wow, uh, we're just seeing uh, the yield prospects uh, decline. And nationally, obviously, the market is telling us that uh, there's there's concern that we really don't know uh, the extent that yields have slid, uh, if you will, over the last uh, several weeks. And uh, so this is a you know where the question comes in uh, regarding what kind of a supply we're going to pull out of. Uh, the uh, central part of the country uh, when harvest actually gets
1: underway. Yeah, we'll find out uh, how far, you know, how much off the top. You know, we're we're gonna come uh, with this dry weather towards the end, especially with beans that uh, could a lot of those beans could have used another rain to finish off, and a lot of those areas, as you said didn't get them and probably won't get them before, before harvest. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, these kind of headlines always get a lot of attention and saw it over the weekend. Uh, predictions of a, a a bitterly cold, maybe a very snowy winter. Uh, what are your models saying?
0: Well, I, I wouldn't rule out the uh, colder and, and snowier situation considering that uh, La Nina developing in the Pacific is going to be a contributing Uh, feature uh, to the winter forecast because the uh, SOI, Southern Oscillation Index, uh, that uh, the Australian Weather Bureau uh, keeps track of for uh, the barometer indicator of uh, the whole El Niño-La Niña phenomenon in the Pacific uh, has has now moved into uh, the La Niña threshold area because the uh, 30-day Running average of that uh, of that computation is uh, at a, almost a plus nine. The benchmark for La Niña is a plus eight, and um, the the uh, SOI readings have been a strongly positive uh, value of at least a plus ten for almost the last two weeks. So it does indeed look like La Niña is shaping up, and and that's the reason with that for that preamble is that. Um, when La Nina is in effect in the fall and winter, uh, we tend to see a drier fall, but over the winter, uh, the uh, chances for a colder and snowier or stormier winter are are uh, larger, are greater uh, over quite a few areas of the central U.S. Uh, when La Nina is in effect, and uh, especially for the southern plains. So uh, I, I should say for the northern and the Central Plains and much of the Midwest, the Southern Plains stay on the dry side. So that's where uh, the chances for a colder and snowier winter are I think uh, probably uh, enhanced by the development that we see going on in the Pacific.
1: Well it sounds like uh, we'll be going into winter uh, with some dry conditions needing to replenish some uh, more soil moisture, but uh, always we... we rather not make it up in snow but it sounds like that may be the way it happens this year
0: well it certainly could be now you know talking about a the prospects of a drier fall uh, you know that's promising obviously for harvest conditions and for a lot of producers you know after the last two years a a drier fall season at harvest would be uh, i think uh, quite welcome because man we know that There's been all sorts of issues that uh, a lot of uh, growers had to put up with, and uh, not to mention just a a much delayed harvest uh, during uh, the past two winters. So uh, that part of things, I think, would be a benefit. But uh, there is going to be that concern about a stormier winter, and then uh, also concern about whether the, uh, the soil moisture levels are going to kind of start getting into a little bit of a drier trend as we look ahead to the spring of, uh, of, uh, 2021. But, you know, that still is a long ways off, but, uh, you know, there all those things that are kind of at arm's length that every so often, uh, get a little bit of attention.
1: Yeah. Let's get through this fall, right? Before we start worrying about next year. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. it is interesting to see how it's, how it is shaping up. Um, any other around the world? Your global uh, outlook. Any other weather issues in other parts of the world?
0: Well, there always are, uh, you know, to one degree or another. But um, I think the I think the most uh, uh, critical one is uh, the situation for precipitation in Central Brazil at this point, because we are only about two weeks away from when the Brazilian soybean planting can officially get underway, and right now. Uh, the central part of Brazil, Mato Grosso especially, is quite dry, and uh, the forecast is not looking that great for uh, rainfall to develop for their dry season to end before about the mid-September timeframe, and so that could uh, delay the start of soybean planting in Brazil, and then just kind of, kind of, uh, you know, lead to all sorts of uh, ripple effects down the road with Soybean harvest and Soprina crop planting and all that sort of thing for corn.
1: Yeah, as we uh, start harvest, we'll watch them as they start planting. All right, good to talk with you, Bryce. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, Mike. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joining us here on AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know.
1: Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, in recent weeks, we've certainly seen China pick up their buying of our ag products, including soybeans. What about the overall picture? Let's talk about it with Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah,
3: thank you, Mike. Great to talk with you this morning.
1: Well, let's, uh, let's start with China. Your thoughts on the, their purchases and where we're at as far as sales to them when it comes to soybeans.
3: Well, we've been very uh, pleased to see that the pace picking up for sales. Obviously, we are uh, we're at the almost a record level. We'll see when we get the numbers this week in terms of new crop sales uh, as we start the new marketing year. So uh, you know, we've been thinking for a while that there was uh, gonna be a real good effort from the Chinese in terms of implementing the Phase one agreement, and I think we're seeing that happen. You know, we had to get through the time period when Brazil is the normal kind of southern hemisphere exporter and their main window. Uh, That window has uh, the the shipments are certainly winding down. We're all hearing talk about the prices in Brazil going up Uh, and we're seeing them now turn to the United States. So they've got a nice purchase book on from from the U.S., as do other countries. China has been a buyer, but a lot of other countries have been buying from the U.S. as well. For the shipment starting in the new crop, which is actually tomorrow, the new marketing year starts on September first. So we're looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, should we be a little bit cautious, though? Uh, the difference between announced sales and actual delivery.
3: Well, yes, we always have to be a little cautious about that. Uh, and I think anything to do with the U.S. and China, as we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of politics involved in that. There's a lot of uh, potential other issues that can come to play. Uh, my per- my perspective is that I believe China needs the soybeans. I think that they are not buying them only for political reasons. I think there is true demand, which makes me feel better. And I believe the purchases will be executed because I think they, uh, you know, that they are quickly rebuilding their swine herd. The ASF situation really, as we've all heard, you know, knocked their swine numbers down. Some, some reports say as much as 50% in China, but they're rapidly rebuilding that. Uh, and we, uh, we, we were, we've been thinking that they will probably be kind of back to where they were before the ASF problem by the middle of 2021. And we're getting closer to the middle of 2021, and we're seeing those numbers going up. And their feed rations are using a lot of soybean meal as the feeding of pigs today in China is quite profitable. And they're trying to get them finished up as quickly as they can, and that requires... Soybean meal, and we've also seen them be good buyers of corn, which is another good sign, I think, because it's something that they really need.
1: We're talking with Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Other than China, Jim, who else is buying a lot of U.S. soybeans right now?
0: Well,
3: we've, you know, I, I like to talk about some of these new emerging markets that we've been working in. Uh, Egypt has become our number three. If we look at the, the list of countries, you know, specific countries that purchase U.S. soybeans. Egypt is now number three and I think that's a country a lot of people say Egypt well what are they doing with them well they have a very large poultry industry and they have a big aquaculture industry and it's and it's a pretty large country you know they got hundred and twenty million people and uh, their economy is improving and those people want to consume more uh, other countries uh, on that list of kind of new destinations would be Pakistan and Bangladesh they're both increasing their purchases of US soy and are, and are kind of also new markets And then, of course, we have a lot of the old standby customers, uh, Japan, Korea, the Southeast Asian nations, Europe. So we really we're we're very fortunate to have a wide base of customers, and that's why we're happy to see China buying as many soybeans as they are, but we want to make sure that we're keeping this diverse set of customers around the world for our great U.S. soy products.
1: You've recently, just in the last few days, really highlighted uh, the value of u.s soybeans soy products with our international buyers tell us about that
3: yeah so we had something called the uh, u.s soy uh, or the global trade exchange where we highlighted u.s soy and we did this in conjunction with the uh, specialty grain and soy alliance so it was the uh, global trade exchange and specialty grains conference we have a nice long name for it but we had over uh, and, and this year we did it virtually this is the eighth year we've done this conference we uh, normally do it in a Midwestern city. This year it was scheduled to be in St. Louis, but we had to change that because of the COVID-19 situation. So we, uh, we had a thousand, over 1,000 participants in our virtual conference. We had 750 international participants, which is about three times the number of international participants we normally have. Obviously, it's easier for them to participate virtually than if we had done it just, uh, than, than, than they, if they'd had to travel. And of course, people are anxious to travel again. We want to get them back to traveling. But this year, it was really a good uh, substitute, I think. And it's really comprised of three main things. We do something called the Trade Team Invitational, which is, think of it as speed dating. We get uh, importers together with U.S. exporters, and we give them a 20-minute session where a room full of importers from a specific country can meet with an exporter that gives them a sales pitch on what they've got to offer. Then we have the Global Trade Exchange itself, which has uh, a lot of uh, great seminars this year. We had uh, Under Secretary Ted McKinney, uh, FAS uh, Administrator Ken Isley, uh, Ambassador Greg Dowd from USTR spoke, kind of giving the governmental view. And then we had a lot of uh, very, inf- very educational, informational speakers. Um, Co- uh, CoBank had a couple of economists that, that gave us a great overview. Concili Agri Emily French spoke to our group, and others. You know, so we had a lot of good learning sessions. And then the third component that we always do are farm tours. So we get these international visitors out on farm tours. Well, we had some virtual buses, and we have virtual farm tours. And the good thing is we've created these uh, these videos about farm tours, and they're really very, very well done, going to about 10 different states. And so a person can click on if they want to see soybean uh, farming and kind of the, the way the supply chain works in North Dakota, they can do that. Or if they want to see it in Iowa or Indiana, Uh, So the international buyers can do that. So we tried our best to make it a good global trade exchange, even though it was virtual. And we think we were successful.
1: Yep, our new virtual reality that we're dealing with. Um, So as you look overall, Jim, at the impact COVID-19 has had on our soybean exports this year, kind of give us an overview, the impact it's had, but uh, your thoughts on a strong finish to the year now.
3: Yeah, so... So fortunately, and and I've just got to commend uh, the farmer, you know, starting with the the farmers that are in our export supply chain all the way through the exporters, we didn't really miss a beat. You know, there were, of course, they were considered to be an essential industry, but even some essential industries, as we saw in things like the meatpacking industry, they, they had troubles and they had, you know, interruptions to service for their customers. We did not have that in our export supply chain. Farmers kept delivering and the whole way through the chain kept supplying. So that was a good thing. International buyers, you know, I was afraid that we would see a downtick in global demand uh, with the COVID-19 situation. And maybe we still will, but we really haven't. And if, cause, cause I like to look at if you take the combined exports from uh, the U.S., Brazil, and Argentina. Those are the main sources to the world for soy. And I look at those on a monthly basis for soybeans, meal, and oil. And we continued steadily to climb, even through the COVID-19 situation. And I think, you know, people have continued to need to eat. Livestock have continued to need to be fed. People continue to want to use cooking oil or, or create biodiesel in the case of some countries. So we've continued to see a growth in demand. So fortunately, we haven't really seen that sort of a downtick. Um, And then in terms of the finish, I mean, I think we're, you know, we saw Brazil having a record crop that they exported in record fast pace because of their really weak currency. Uh, That's sort of behind us now, and now the world will come to the United States, and I think we're we're the main supplier uh, for the next uh, four, five, six months until other crops come in South America. And, you know, it's a global market, so we, we can't be the only supplier. But we certainly will have a will. will be in the spotlight now for the coming months, and I, I I've been telling people I think it's great that we have this big crop we're growing, because I think we'll have good solid demand, and and we'll need this big crop. I think it will move quickly.
1: Interesting. You you think because there's always a concern about stocks and uh, can we move what we have? You you think uh, we need this big crop coming in?
3: I do. You know, I'm and maybe I'm a little. Um, ahead of some others in terms of uh, you know, I, and I know at the end of the year, we, I'm, not, I'm not projecting we're going to run out of stocks in the United States, but I think we will see really good demand over the next, uh, as I said, four or five months while the U.S. is the main supplier to the world and I think uh, that will do a lot towards uh, limiting our carryout stocks at the end of the year. Now, of course, we've got to see what happens with growing conditions in South America, et cetera, next year but I think, as I mentioned, I'm encouraged because I see demand continuing to tick higher every month when you add those numbers up. There's a little bit of an increase. And uh, so our exports were slower in, in this past year that we're just finishing up because Brazil had such a big crop. And, uh, but, but we will continue to see strong demand for U.S. exports here in the next, uh, in the next months to come. And I think that uh, I think we'll continue to be surprised with demand being a little bit bigger than we'd forecast. I I just continue to see people wanting to feed livestock uh, using uh, particularly, you know, you look at China, what they're doing, the way that they've increased the use of soy meal in their rations. I think that we're seeing good, strong demand and that will continue to take U.S. soy off the market.
1: That would be good news indeed. All right, Jim, always good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. Great to talk with you. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. You bet. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Yeah, that's interesting. He sees very strong demand for soybeans uh, moving forward. We're going to talk about that and uh, going into harvest, what we think about this year's crop and how markets are reacting to all this. We're going to talk with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, some interesting comments from Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. One, when he was talking about China and their recent big purchases, he says he thinks it's because they have a great need, not just that they're trying to fill or meet uh, the phase one trade deal commitments. So that's interesting, which bodes well for continued sales, certainly, as they're trying to rebuild their swine herd, among other things, uh, after African swine fever. So we'll keep a watch on that. But certainly those China purchases very much in the news as they continue to buy. Also, his thoughts on how he sees strong demand for U.S. soybeans here for the rest of the year. This is our time, of course, uh, in the marketplace. As Brazil and South America has pretty well marketed their last crop, they're getting ready to start planting their next crop. So we'll be watching the weather in South America uh, as they get ready to plant. But uh, he sees strong demand, very strong demand, for U.S. soybeans uh, through the rest of the year. So we'll watch that closely as well. That would be indeed welcome news. Our attention starting to turn, though, now to harvest and uh, the challenges weather-wise, we we know we have some dry conditions in some places throughout much of Iowa, parts of northern Illinois and some other places still storm damage, which will make harvest much more difficult where they can harvest. Speaking of that, I'm going to be headed to uh, Iowa uh, later today and we'll be broadcasting tomorrow from Boone, Iowa and kind of look ahead at the virtual Farm Progress Show that is coming up later this year, as uh, we'll give you kind of an idea what uh, how they're going to pull all that together and what will be available for you later this month, uh, later in September, I should say, in a couple of weeks when the virtual Farm Progress Show takes place. So I'll have a chance to talk with Farm Progress Show officials uh, tomorrow while in Boone, Iowa, but also we'll be talking with a number of folks about Crop damage and crop conditions throughout Iowa following deratio. And we're going to be talking with some folks uh, dealing with that and uh, out that have been out and assessing the damage and what the prospects are for their harvest, uh, what they can harvest, and how difficult that's going to be in trying to harvest uh, after the storm. So we'll get a much better handle on that uh, with my trip to Iowa this week. Tell you what, first trip since COVID and everything started shutting down. And I've been trying to figure out what to pack and everything. Things that used to be second nature, you know, just didn't even think about it. I'm trying to think, okay, now i got to remember this, got to remember that. You know, haven't <laughs> haven't done this in a while. So trying to get everything packed and ready as we uh, make a trip to the Farm Progress Show site. Looking forward to uh, seeing some folks there, actually seeing people. Uh, as we keep our social distance, but uh, still seeing people nonetheless and talking about the virtual Farm Progress show that will be coming up September uh, 15th, 16th, 17th. And what, we'll tell, give you a better idea. We won't be able to tell you what you're going to see, but we'll be able to give you an idea of the types of things you're going to be able to see and also how you can access that information in our new virtual world. So still trying to get used to all of that. Um, As we continue to watch uh, the presidential election heat up, of course, as now not only President Trump out on the campaign trail, but it looks like Joe Biden might actually finally get out on the campaign uh, trail as well. Um, Some news here in the last few days, House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson says he supports, not a surprise, he supports Biden's plan to eliminate uh, tariffs on China but he also said he wasn't sure what the alternative would be for countering Chinese trade practices. So that's interesting. Will there be from the democratic side, some type of, um, alternative, if you're going to oppose the tariffs, then what would you do in place of them? And we'll be waiting to see what they come up with if they do, as far as a, uh, you know, out on the campaign trail, what they might be proposing for that. Uh, There's also been a lot of news. We mentioned this earlier, the news out of Taiwan, that they've agreed to ease some of their restrictions on U.S. beef and pork. But, um, you know, I've talked with uh, several groups here in the U.S., and while they're happy about it and uh, optimistic about the news, uh, everyone's being pretty cautious right now. Not a lot of details, and no one wants to get too far out in front on this. But, again, the word is... Uh, U.S. government officials and industry officials are welcoming Friday's announcement that Taiwan will be lifting restrictions that limit imports of U.S. beef and pork. But again, not a lot of details on that. A lot of optimism. The National Pork Producers Council did release a statement saying that it has worked for approximately 15 years to eliminate Taiwan's non tariff barriers to U.S. pork exports. And the National Pork Producers Council saying it appreciates that Taiwan is indicating it will soon lift all non-tariff barriers to U.S. pork, but uh, not a done deal yet, and a lot of times the the announcements of these kind of events comes out, and then uh, you just have to wait for the details. Uh, What are we talking about as far as potential? Well, the us exported about 560 or rather let me get this right 568 million dollars worth of beef to taiwan last year that was up from 550 million in 2018 so uh, there's some potential there to uh, grow that and on the beef side and certainly a lot of potential on the pork side as well so we'll keep a close watch on that again Uh, U.S. officials not wanting to get too far out in front of this the industry groups not wanting to get out too far in front of this uh, taking a cautious uh, approach to this but certainly welcoming the prospects of uh, increased trade with Taiwan. Well with that we're going to wrap it up for today. I'm going to try to get everything packed up hopefully I don't forget anything and make my way to Boone, Iowa and we'll be talking to you from the Farm Progress show site tomorrow. We'll see how things look in that area and on my trip from uh, West Central Illinois to Boone, Iowa. I'll get the chance to see a lot of uh, crops along the way see how things look and we're gonna have again some reports tomorrow from the fields throughout Iowa folks have been out assessing the ratio of damage and and what they're seeing and uh, we'll get some uh, uh, firsthand accounts of that coming up tomorrow. All right, thank you for being with us as we kick off a week and wrap up the month of August. Be safe everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.